Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All right. I didn't pay my mortgage with yesterday's Belmont winnings. I did okay earlier in the card, and I did well yesterday, so I kind of played the Belmont for free. But still, uh, Triple Crown Racing, cashing tickets, not great for me. We'll see if that was the case for our next guest. We had him on after the Kentucky Derby, and I think he said he was only okay. Had him on after the Preakness. He might have had the winner. Um, Dave Grenick from the Daily Racing Forum. How'd you do with yesterday's Belmont Stakes? Yeah, not good. Uh, I kind of uh, went against my initial inclination. In fact, I, I think on your show uh, the day after the Derby, I think I told you Mo Donegal would either A, be favored and or B, win the Belmont Stakes. I was right about being favored. Favoritism, yeah. If, if, if I said he would win, I was right. But by that, by a lot happens in five weeks, and I wound up uh, picking him third. <laughs> so I didn't... Uh, I didn't jump on that bandwagon, and I was not necessarily thinking Nest was going to uh, run as well, and she ran really well as she did. And I certainly wasn't—I certainly wasn't on Skippy Longstockings. I'll tell you that. And if, if I had bet Skippy Longstockings and saw the price was eleven to one, I might have thrown up. Right, uh, Skippy Longstocking, my new favorite, uh, least favorite horse on the planet, because he, <laughs> he kind of cut off simplification horse. I liked in the Preakness, both at the start and uh, turning for home, and then yesterday hanging on for third because I was on We the People. So uh, and he pushed We the People through the early fractions. Not that they were outrageous, but uh, was off his flank the entire time. So he's my least favorite horse on the planet as of right now. So I'll try and do it wherever. Wherever he shows up next. All right, let me start there. I I, uh, I thought Mo Donica was the most talented horse. I thought that he absolutely could win the race. I picked him for second. But the horse I picked on top was We the People because I thought the race just set up for him. That he was going to be able to get the lead, a relatively easy lead. We saw what he did in the Peter Pan. Not only put the field away, but opened up down the stretch. His breeding said the mile and a half was certainly within his scope. Everything went right except the fact that a horse like uh, Skippy Longstocking did stay just off his flank the entire time. Don't know if that kind of pressure got to him. He didn't have it when he got to the stretch. Why do you think we the people came up short in his attempt to go wire to wire? Because uh, he doesn't want to go that far. Uh, okay. I, I think that, uh, you know, we talked about, I'm pretty sure we talked about this at, on the Preakness, uh, day after the Preakness, that because when he went to Peter Pan, it was the week before, and we had talked about how he won on a on a, a one turn mile and an eighth on a sealed sloppy, sealed muddy racetrack, and that when it came time for the Belmont Stakes, it was unlike. Well, we knew he was we knew it wasn't going to be a mile and eighth one turn. It was going to be a two turn mile and a half race, and you know up until it looked like he get a sloppy racetrack, but it never did rain, so we didn't get that. So it was a total different dynamic. Everybody on the planet saw him as the lone speed. That's why he was made the morning line favorite. He actually went off the, third, the second choice at seven to two, almost four to one. Uh, he he looked like the lone speed on paper, but you knew someone 
you didn't know who, in this case it was your boy Skippy, but it, nobody, you didn't know who was going to go after him early, but you knew they weren't going to just let him dance on the lead. And, and also, I don't think he was the type of horse that wants to go just you know, 50, 115. He, he wants to run. And, you know, when Skippy pressed him and, you know, he was going legitimate fractions, um, he just backed up because he doesn't want to go that far. No, uh, I I thought his breeding. I did some back research on his breeding. Uh, Tappet's horses have done very well. Their progeny uh, in the Belmont Stakes, uh, but you never know if they're going to run right exactly to their ble- breeding. And you are probably right. Uh, he shouldn't be going a mile and a half. I how good, how impressive was Mo Donegal's win for you? Uh, I thought it was a solid effort. I thought it was exactly what Todd Pletcher does best. He runs a horse in the Kentucky Derby. The horse runs a respectable race, and you can pick it. You can look at it and say, "Well, he had a pretty legitimate excuse, or he could have run better if this happened or if that happened." And then Todd, what he does is he skips the Preakness, and nobody gets crazy about that anymore. They get crazy when Richard Strike skips the Preakness, but they get, nobody gets crazy when Todd Fletcher skips the Preakness, which he does almost all the time. And then he gets ready for the Belmont, and the horses run extremely well. Now he has four wins in seven seconds over the history over like the last twenty years of the Belmont Stakes, and. Uh, it doesn't always work, obviously, but uh, it worked this time. This is a horse was a two-time graded stakes winner at a mile and eighth, and he ran a respectable race in the Kentucky Derby. He was running with Rich Strike. He went 10 wide. Rich Strike went two wide. There's the difference in why he wasn't uh, closer in the Derby. And he got a very nice trip in the, uh, in the, pre- and, I'm sorry, in the Belmont under Irad Ortiz Jr., close enough to the pace where, without using himself. And then when he got in the clear, tipped out. Uh, he had the most run. The one thing Pletcher said that gave him confidence about this horse is he said, I think I had the horse that will run the fastest last quarter of a mile on the race. And he was spot on. He did. Mm, just that. And a very good ride by Irad, as you mentioned. Had him close enough. No traffic problems. Made uh, one move to get in position to be able to open him up. And he did just that one going away. Um, so of the three classic winners... On paper, going forward, and we know what comes next summer, Travers, Haskell, before we start to look toward the Breeders' Cup at the end of the, way, uh, end of the year, who's in best shape to keep the winning, add, add to a triple crown victory in the big summer stakes? Modonigal, uh, Rich Strike, and or um, uh, voting. Uh, b- b- early, early, early voting. Early, early voting. voting. Uh, sorry, about, sorry Chad it. Brown. <laughs> I'm going to say of those three, Mo Donegal, and not because it's the most recent thing I saw. It's because I do think he wants – look, the, the, whole, the goal for all these horses is to get to the Travers on August 27th in Saratoga, buy your tickets early. Uh, and I think he's the best one equipped to get the mile and a quarter. Like, he wants to run that far. Early voting, yes, he ran a mile and three sixteenths. I know it's only another sixteenth of a mile, but I don't know that if you watch the Freakness that you thought, wow, he wants to, he wants to go – another 16th of a mile and, and be really, really good horses. And Rich Strike is back to the drawing board. He's going to have to prove himself yet again because he just didn't run very well yesterday. Uh, and and maybe he's a one-hit wonder. Maybe it's a scenario where he can only run on in, inside of horses, as his trainer Eric Reed was trying to intimate yesterday, or and, or and or maybe he just needs that blistering pace. I don't think Mo Donegal needs anything specific to happen. And I think he wants to go the distance. So of those three horses you've mentioned, I think he's in the best shape moving forward to get to the Travers and do well, and maybe even the Breeders' Cup Classic and do well. Certainly agree on that. Uh, Chad Brown, 
um, won the second leg of the Triple Crown this year and had exactly no horses in yesterday's Belmont Stakes. I know Saratoga's his home track, but Belmont's pretty important to him, too. He wins, like, every single big grass race there over the course of the year, but this one was on dirt. He's got three legitimate three-year-olds who can be major players on the dirt this summer into uh, beating, leading to Breeders' Cup Day. How do you think he moves around early voting, Zandon, and Jack Christopher yesterday, who was very impressive in the Woody Stevens run against each other? Because he'll put three or four of his own horses against each other in grass races. Will he do that in big races with the three very good dirt three-year-olds? Yes. Well, he'll give them the opportunity to prove that they belong in the Travers. So Jack Christopher coming off the seven furlong Tour de Force yesterday will go to Mammoth Park and run in the Haskell on July 23rd. So he'll get that first try around two turns. He's at, he has been a mile because he won the Champagne last year, but he's never been two turns. He was going to be two turns in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year, but he got hurt uh, and scratched a couple days before. So he'll try that race and see how he, things go. He could always, if he runs impressively, he could always go to the Travers. If he doesn't, he could cut back to the Allen Jerkins, which is a 7 eighths race on the same day as his Travers. Early voting, uh, let me go back. Zandon, who was third in the Kentucky Derby, is going to run in the Jim Dandy, which is July 21st, and he's sort of recharging the batteries on that horse. So the Jim Dandy would suppose, uh, allegedly lead to the Travers. Early voting, he hasn't made a decision on just yet. It'll either be the Haskell, or he's got to run two of them. He's got to run one, you know, two against each other at some point. Uh, it's either the Haskell or the, the Jim Dandy. I, but my gut tells me he'd run him in the Jim in the Haskell just because that track favors his running style and then you know see how they run and then see if he'll have three in the traps he'd like to have three in the Travis. he'd like to have six in the Travis because uh as much as mike rapoli the owner of mo Donegal, wanted to win the belmont that's how much chad brown a native of mechanicville uh, Sarah, uh you know uh new york near saratoga wants yep. to win the Travis. understood uh, well, uh off the top of your head now i know you could look it up easily but you probably haven't yet any time or the last time one trainer had three horses in the Travers? Um, I know Nick Zito. I, know, I don't think this is. I know. I know. I know. Any time. I don't know if it's the last time. I know Nick Zito had three horses in the Travers because he had one for George Steinbrenner, for Mary Lou Whitney, and for um, Tracy Farmer. Uh, so I know. I know that he had three, and I believe that was '04. The bird. So he had Birdstone who won it. And I believe he had uh, one for Steinbrenner and one for um, uh, the, the farmers. That's pretty good ownership. Uh, yeah, if they want to lean toward that race and say, yeah, okay, we'll get them ready. We'll get them prepped. Uh, understandable and uh, good for Nicky Z. All right. Uh, we mentioned Jack Christopher and the uh, outstanding performance he had in the Woody Stevens. If he had been healthy, he could have been a horse going through this Triple Crown trail, maybe even sitting on a potential Triple Crown yesterday going into the Belmont, but you can't control injuries. Um, but he wasn't even the best horse on the card yesterday. As good as he was, and it's better than Modonical. what Flightline did in the Met Mile was uber-impressive, I know that he is a superstar horse. Know that he overcame some uh, issues that uh, he wasn't planning on yesterday, not being able to make the lead, coming off the pace, coming uh, in a stalking trip, and then just blowing away the field. I know he is, for me, the biggest star in horse racing right now. We're only going to see him once between now and the Breeders' Cup? Why is that? Uh, well, first of all, I don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, secondly, it's, uh, part of it is because he runs so fast and needs 
that extra time to recover. I think it's, I think that's overstated. I think that's more of an excuse than anything else. Uh, um, but it's been proven out so far. He's been successful you know, running fast, long layoff, running fast again. But I, I talked to one of the owners today, and you know maybe they were blowing smoke up my you-know-what, but I was trying to convince them to like at least consider the Travers, because, I mean, sorry, the, um, the, the Whitney on August 6th, because I'd like to see that horse run against life is good at a mile and an eighth. And I even gone as, would go as far as if I'm the New York Racing Association to uh, – you know, bump up that purse to a right. chunky four or five million dollars, uh, so that other horses would run in the race because those two would probably run one two, but you run third, you get a million or something like that. Uh, that's the race I want to see, and I'd love. And if you're a sportsman, and there's a lot of owners in this horse, and I don't know all the kickers that's that you know were from a stallion deal. If he remains undefeated, it's this, or if he wins that race, it's that. But if you got him against Life Is Good in the in the um, in the Whitney, I think that would be huge. Um, but that could be the only race he runs in before the classic too. But yeah. I don't know, uh, you know, you go from a mile to a mile and a quarter in the Pacific classic, which is the race I think you read that they were thinking about running in on yep. September 3rd. That's a long time. And then you're going from a mile to a mile and a quarter. I know he's gifted, but that's asking a lot. Mm, right. But he hasn't been a distance yet. So when do you want to take, at some point it's going to be a pretty big jump. Do you want to take it between your one race and then the Breeders' Cup, or do you want to take it in your next race and then the Breeders' Cup isn't as big a jump thereafter? That, I think, is debatable. Um, here's here's my question to you, and you've been around this game and been closer to it than I have. We've both been close enough. But if they are being as protective of them as they are. It's one of two reasons. Either, um, yes, they, they want him to finish up undefeated. They don't want to take a chance that he loses and then put it all on the line at the Breeders' Cup. And if you lose there, what can you do? It's the last race of the year, and it's the biggest one of them all. But the horse has also had some injury issues. Not that you can ever tell when he gets out onto the racetrack and runs, but if you believe the connections and John Saddle is not that kind of guy who would lie about those things, that he, he hasn't always come back out of his races ready to go a week later. They, they have been cautious with him. Which do you think it's more of the fact that they are guarding the potential mega million payday on his breeding rights or that, no, Jody, I, I think Saddler's telling us the truth. The horse isn't the most sound animal on the planet. My, my guess is they have some issues that they have to deal with that aren't necessarily major. and They may not even be soundness issues. They may be sort of, you know, foot issues, issues that probably lead you to have to give a horse two weeks off or something and then start back up again. Uh, so I, I would think lean more toward the physical nature of the horse. Uh, again, I don't think it's anything major. I just think there's some probably nagging things that they, they give him extra time off and then they have to try to start all over again because, you know, he's now a multiple grade one winner. He won the, the Malibu. He's won the Met Mile, which everyone talks about as a, I'm using air quotes here, a stallion making race. So yeah. we've got that. I mean, I, I, I think the brilliance that he's shown in his four races has made him a stallion no matter what happens the rest, rest of uh, his career, whether it's one race, two races, or they go into next year and they run in the Pegasus and the Saudi Cup and whatever which I doubt is going to happen. But uh, I, I think he's already made himself a stallion. Now, to me, you go after, you know, so go after some glory, go after horse of the year and, and run, you know, run and run, run against life is good. Who's a very good horse at a mile and an eighth uh, and, and do it in a prestigious race like the Whitney. And then it doesn't even matter what happens the rest of the year. If you don't make it back to the Breeders' Cup, so be it. You won the Met Mile, the Whitney, and you be one of the best horses in training. You win.
Here's the reason why I think you actually have a chance of seeing that happen. No has been a California-based horse prior to yesterday, and that's where Sadler is based. But the Breeders' Cup this year isn't in Cali. It seems like it's there about four out of every five years. But that's not the case this year. It's in Keeneland. So the fact that you're just going back out to the West Coast, no, you never have to leave again after yesterday's race, not the case. You're going to have to bring them back east somewhat, at least to Kentucky. So maybe they uh, come back and go uh, up to Saratoga and then down to um, Kentucky to Keeneland for the Breeders' Cup. All right, you kind of touched on this. I want you to give me more. Many owners for Flightline, two different partnerships are part owners, which means within those partnerships, there are many different owners. It would seem to be a very good thing for the industry. If you've got partners that are part of this and you've got the best horse in training and it's that exciting, but it's also a horse that runs every three months and may only get three races over the course of a year. How good is Flightline success because of the way the ownership is set up, how good for the uh, game is it or isn't it? See, I, I'm not so sure about the way the ownership is set up as, as what you, uh, the other point you alluded to. To, to. to watch a really talented horse race only three times a year, to me, doesn't do much for the industry. You know, uh, okay, great. You, you want more. Like, you have to leave it. You know, he left you yesterday wanting to see more. Yep. And if I have to wait till September 3rd, uh, you know, a Labor Day, Saturday, when there's other stuff happening and it's Del Mar and it's a Pacific Classic, it's going to be a four or five horse field because there's not many horses. A, there's not many horses that are probably out there that would take him on. Maybe a country grammar. I don't know. Uh, that's the horse we're going to do by World Cup. But it, uh, East, you know, on the East Coast, because no one on the East Coast is going to ship West to run against that horse. He's going to, whether he likes it or not, he's going to have to come this way if he wants to take on the best, the better horses. Um, so he could take the easy way out and run the Pacific Classic, and maybe people aren't going to really follow it that much. And then if he runs the Breeders' Cup Classic and then wins it, and you're like, wow, that's a great horse. And then they say the next day, well, he's going to go stand at such and such farm for you know $500,000 a breed. He's going to be like, okay, great. What is it? That, to me, it doesn't do much for the industry. I know you're a New York racing guy. Uh, they listed 46. I talked to a couple people who were there, said they had no issues whatsoever on lines getting around. Uh, said 46 might have been a generous appraisal of the crowd. They had it capped at 50. They surely didn't get the 50, and they uh, announced 46. Accurate, uh, slight overstatement. Yeah, they padded the heck out of that, Jody. Yeah, I think that first number, it's like the price is right, right? You're buying that car, and you're like, okay, is it higher or lower than this? Well, I would go lower, and I would take a three at that first number. Uh, maybe the six is accurate. I'm not sure, and the other three numbers are inconsequential, but I think the first number of attendance starts with a three, and you could go either way of that six in the second number. I think there was, I think there was like 35, 36,000 people there. Dave Granning breaking out the prices right here on the show. I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, and one thing they couldn't fudge was the handle. And it was down 12% from the previous year's Belmont Stakes, putting the year before with COVID and changing the date, everything else aside. The key one to compare it to was last year down 12%. Why do you think that was the case? Uh, small fields. I mean, we had, uh, we had a horse. Uh, a champion horse at twelve thirty. The starting the basically starting the card gets scratched at the gate. I don't even know how much money they had to refund off that. Uh, so that that five horse field became a four horse field. There were four other, I think there were four or five other uh, five and six horse fields. So you know, it, there, if there's only so many horses to bet on, 
you can't you know you can't even bet on the long shots uh, because there aren't any, there aren't enough long shots to wager on. So just sewer fields, which is an industry wide problem as well, but that would be the reason why the uh, what. What, if anything, do you think Belmont does to make sure they don't have four and five horse fields on Belmont Stakes Day next year? Well, you know, one one of the things, and, and it's a double-edged sword, because if you get horses like Flightline and uh, Latruska, you know, big, big champion horses that nobody wants to run against, it's, it's a little tough to fill out those fields. So I think, you know, maybe some purse increases for some of these stakes, or maybe somebody gets together with uh, other jurisdictions and... You don't run that other stake right up against a week a week in front of my stake, and then you know sort of have to those horsemen have to direct their horses to New York. So uh, I think the industry has a lot of issues with fewer horses, but the same amount of stakes races. So how does that work? The math the math doesn't add up. You need fewer stakes races if you have fewer horses. Well, the math usually adds up when we get Dave Grenig on. That was the case again here. DG, always appreciate you. I'll get back to you sometime in the summer when we get to some of those big races we were talking about. Appreciate you jumping on after all three Triple Crown races this year. Thanks for having me, Jody. Good to talk to you. Dave Grenick, you can read him in the Daily Racing Forum, drf.com online. Uh, one of the best horse racing journalists in the country. All right, Jody Mack coming back, getting the phones reopened. Hit me up at 855 212 4227. We can talk Belmont. We can talk about the NBA final. Rekindles tomorrow. Warriors Celtics game five. Yes, later in the show, about 40 minutes from now, as a matter of fact, we're going to give hockey some love. Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports, uh, their senior NHL writer, is going to join. Um, we have only touched on I gave the Yankees props at the beginning of the show. I haven't heard from any Yankee fans because they're killing it, right? They beat up their opponents on a daily basis. They're so far and away the best team in baseball. It's scary. Uh, I'll take baseball calls. 855-212-4227. Get on with the Mac Man right here on CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.